Today's episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast is proud to be partnered with Anchor Podcasts. Anchor is the easiest way for anyone to make a podcast. If you have a latent idea that's just kind of lying around for a show you would like to record one day, I'm confident that anyone could use this platform to host, record, and distribute your podcast, turning your idea into a reality. Anchor puts everything you need to be successful all in one place. You can start a new recording right from your mobile device. They also have convenient creation tools that allow you to edit your audio files so they sound crisp and great. Anchor also distributes your podcast for you, letting listeners find your show almost everywhere, including Spotify, Anchor Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and several others. And best of all, it's free. There are no hosting fees or monthly subscriptions or minimum listener counts, just an easy-to-use platform to get your podcast out there at no cost to you. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm today to get started. Welcome to another episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast. I'm so glad you chose to listen. So glad you chose to tune in. This is a show uh, that seeks to marvel at the mercy of God at that meets us in our messy ministries. Uh, I'm so happy to be with you. I'm uh, Pastor Brad Gray. I serve as the senior pastor of Stonington Baptist Church, right in the heart of central Pennsylvania in a little town called Paxinos. And uh, I'm so happy to come with you uh, to uh, uh, to be speaking with you today and to just chat with you and share some things that have uh, been on my heart and mind. Uh, of course, this is another volume of Pastor Brad's Corner, and uh, that's really what I like to do in these these little shows. In the other episodes, I like to interview and converse with people, which I have um, some really exciting ones coming up. But uh, in these the, uh, in these little episodes, I like to just share some things that have been on my heart and mind, uh, perhaps some things too that either were going to be included in sermons or either inspired a lot of uh, some of my sermon writing. So I, I like to include these just because I like to highlight some things that I think are worth highlighting. And there's uh, there's lots of stuff that uh, goes into sermon preparation and, uh, and there's some things that just sometimes end up on, on the floor, so to speak, and not able to be used. And uh, here we get to chat through them uh, and, and, and share them. And I hope that they uh, encourage you and you find them uh, find them encouraging as well um, so just a couple of announcements to sort of start off this this uh, edition of Pastor Brad's Corner um, of course if you saw some of my Instagram posts and saw some of the things that I was posting on Facebook you'll know that uh, a, a long term goal of mine has be, has been to become a published writer and uh, recently that goal has been realized in part I am so happy to be uh, to tell you that I have um uh, contributed a few readings to the new Mockingbird devotional, Daily Grace, the Mockingbird devotional, Volume 2. So it's a yearly devotional. You can pick it up uh, on the store, uh, on the Mockingbird store, or Amazon, or wherever else books are sold. And it's a, an entire year devotional. You can read through it from January 1st to December 31st. Read a, a, a daily portion of Grace, which I think is just so uh, wonderful. What a wonderful idea. Uh, what a wonderful concept. And 
uh, I am just privileged that I get to be a contributor to this wonderful collection of of readings and uh, uh, to uh, sort of provide to anyone who res- uh, who's going through uh, this uh, devotional to get a daily digestion of of grace and uh, I I just love that uh, and I'm thrilled to be uh, included in that uh, alongside so many other writers and wonderful thinkers and ministers and and uh, so just make sure you go pick that up uh, daily grace the mockingbird devotional the link is in the notes uh, in the resources notes for this show and I hope you'll avail yourself of that I think it's a great resource I am sort of I, I, I'm sort of like a little bit OCD how I how I read devotionals <laughs> so I'm waiting till January 1st to really break it open and I really can't wait I, I want to read through it each day and um, read through all of these different um, wonderful contributions and uh, wonderful little writings. So I hope you'll avail yourself of that. It's a great resource. Um, the other announcement I wanted to, to just throw out there is to make sure after you listen to this episode, make sure you go back and listen to the previous episode, episode number 83. I was so honored and privileged to interview the uh, provost and professor of historical theology at the seminary that I'm attending, Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City. Uh, and uh, I was able to interview him. His name is Dr. Jason Dusing. He is just a wonderful thinker, a wonderful theologian and professor. I was thrilled to uh, have him for a summer class this past summer in which we were going over Baptist history, uh, Baptist church history, and I was just honored to be able to connect with him, and even more honored that when I asked him to come on my podcast, he said yes. <laughs> so, uh, I, we just have a wonderful conversation, and it's it's really uh free-flowing, really just sort of, uh, just really conversational dialogue as we go through and just talk about theological education, what that means for the ministry and for the broader spectrum of God's kingdom. So, I hope you'll take advantage of that. It's a great episode. I was I was thrilled to do it, and I'm thrilled to have it be a part of the ministry-minded library of shows. And so, definitely don't let that one slip you by. It's a great episode. The link to that you can find, or you can just hit the, hit your back button on your podcast uh and uh, and find it. So I hope you will. I hope you will do that. But what did I preach on this past week? So this past weekend was November the eighth. I was preaching twice, and uh, as I shared in a newsletter to my church, it, for whatever reason, these two sermons really took a lot out of me. Uh, I came home and I was really exhausted, as I normally am on Sunday afternoons. Uh, but for whatever reason, this one was especially tiring, uh, especially exhausting. There was a lot of, I think, fatigue that. Um, just played into <laughs> what what I was preaching on and sort of the events of the week prior to that with the U.S. national election and all that sort of stuff. So, uh, anyways, uh, in the Sunday morning service, I was preaching on Ecclesiastes chapter 8. So, I was continuing my series through the book of Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes chapter 8 is probably one of the most apropos chapters to preach on after an event like the U.S. national election, when there's so many different people uh, talking and and projecting and predicting things and and uh, p- perhaps uh, leading to a lot of exhaustion and a lot of anxiety and a lot of uh, unrest and so many people who are watching uh, so many different experts give their takes on what will actually happen uh, in the days and hours to come, uh, or excuse me, days and weeks to come. And 
Which is so ironic, I think, that I, I didn't really plan this. I didn't plan to to, to, to preach on Ecclesiastes 8, Ecclesiastes 8 on this particular Sunday, but it just happened to work out that way, and I'm so glad it did, because uh, what you find in Ecclesiastes 8, I think the predominant message of this entire chapter is that we, as human beings, are limited, are limited in what we can know and limited in what we can control, and therefore, when we try to assert our control on things that are actually out of our control, peace, true peace, true rest uh, remains outside of us, remains something that we will never be able to fully realize or actually enjoy. And I think one of the most profound sections of that chapter is actually verses 7 through 9, in which Solomon is, uh, or the preacher, I think it's Solomon, of course, but the preacher there in Ecclesiastes is talking about how man cannot know the future. He cannot predict the days that are going to happen, and he cannot predict or project perhaps what future days will hold. Uh, no man knows what to, what tomorrow will bring. And so, yet that doesn't stop us. That doesn't make us stop um, trying to predict the future, we still do. We still are obsessed with this addiction to prediction. And then actually, that leads me to one of the things that I wanted to highlight, which was a really great article that actually appeared back in June, believe it or not, uh, on Mockingbird by uh, the sort of uh, heir apparent, or the, the, the grandfather of all Mockingbird stuff, David Zoll. Uh, he has this great article called Bottoming Out on Prediction Addiction. And when she talks exactly about this whole sort of notion that we are so obsessed with predicting what will happen in the future and trying to control uh, future events in that way. We assert control over the future by buying, trying to predict what that future might hold. And then if we can do that and we do so accurately and we, and we predict rightly, then we aren't as surprised when things come about, when unexpected events happen. We can just say, see, I told you so. See, I knew that was going to happen. And that leaves, or that leads us to have that sense of control and we can retain it. We can, we can keep it close to us. And that is what we think will give us peace. But as David Zoll uh, writes in this wonderful article, is that that's an illusion. <laughs> that's that's such a faulty way of thinking, because precisely because we have control over nothing. We have control over absolutely nothing that happens in this life, and and that's really what Solomon is trying to say here. That we can't assert any control over the powers that be over this world. We can't assert any control by predicting what will happen in the future or anything else. Actually, when it comes down to it, we have no control over anything. And that isn't meant to make us uh, seem uh, depressed, or it isn't make us it isn't meant to make us give up on anything. Actually, it's meant to make us rest in the fact that we, those who are, I think, as what Solomon is arguing here, those who are faithful, those who are truly wise, as he is articulating, are those who rest in the fact that they don't have control over anything, but they know that there's one who is, and they know the one who does have control over everything. And that is God. God is the one who, whose sovereign authority 
is over all events of this life, over everything that happens in the universe. He is in control over all of it. There's nothing that happens that is outside of his sovereignty. And that that is meant to free us. That is meant to make us rest. Uh, and when things are out of control, we can know that there's a God who is asserting authority over all things. Therefore, our, our anxiety over the future... It, it, it isn't actually founded. Our, our worries about what might or might not happen as we seek to project uh, our prediction, predictions onto the future are, uh, again, unfounded because we uh, don't have a jurisdiction over the future, nor do we have any cause to worry about it. Why? Because we have a God who is already in the future, who goes before us, who promises to always be with us. And that's really the wonderful point that David Zoll makes throughout this article in bottoming out on prediction addiction is just that, that predictions are no carrier of peace. Uh, trying to uh, find our peace in this life through trying to predict what future days may hold actually leads to less and less peace being enjoyed or being had. Actually, the uh, peace only comes from God's promises. Peace comes from the promises of God, promises that He makes that can never, can never uh, change. Listen to this paragraph. This is Dave Zoll writing. A promise, or uh, let me back up. Our hope is not attached to a prediction, David writes. Those are human inventions meant to reinforce our sense of control. A promise, however, especially one predicated on the authority of another, allows us to deal with the present as it is, not as we need it to be. To see other people as suffering individuals, not variables in some framework or narrative. That promise may even free us momentarily from our apprehensions about a future that will never come to pass, re-energizing our efforts at healing the here and now, however dire or hopeless that project appears to be. I love I love Dave's writing. I love this article. I love how seamlessly it plays into the incredible point that I think Solomon is making. We can try and assert our control over this life by literally any means possible, and that will only end up in heartache and failure and grief. What actually leads to peace is being okay with giving up our control over things. Being okay that, yeah, we don't have to be in control over that all the time because we know the one who is in control all the time, and his name is God. His name is Jehovah, the Lord, the Lord who promises to always be with us, to never leave us, and whose promises never fail. Uh, I invite you to listen to that sermon. It was one that I labored over a lot to deliver and to study for and prepare for, and I, I'm really, um, it was one that I was actually questioning questioning uh, if I had actually achieved what I had intended uh, at the end of that sermon. And I'm really thankful for many who came up to me and said that that sermon was a blessing because, um, you know, there's sometimes where I don't always feel that that's the case, where I feel that I have somehow uh, failed. And yet, that's usually the times when uh, many people come up to me and say that you've been a blessing, and it's not really uh, what I'm feeling in the moment. And yet, it's there to remind me that God's sovereign over His Word, and my eloquence doesn't really have a part in what the Holy Spirit does with His Word. Uh, He's the one that promises that His Word won't return void, not not because of my ingenuity or anything like that. So, anyways, that was my Sunday morning sermon. I invite you to listen to that. Um, but also, in the Sunday evening sermon, I can continue through my series in First Peter chapter 2. So, I'm going through Peter's letters, 
And really in chapter 2, I was uh, trying to pull out this incredible truth about how Christ is the chief cornerstone of the church. And there's a lot that can be sort of uh, ascertained out of that out of that whole message. But what has sort of stood out to me the most is just how Peter is writing from experience. And this is what I've been trying to sort of pull out throughout this entire time as we've been going through Peter's letters, is just the fact that Peter's writing from his experiences. He's not writing some sort of theoretical doctrine. He's not writing on anything that would be a sort of labeled as hypothetical or theoretical. He's not writing out of an ivory tower to uh, to people about doctrines that may or not be uh, pertinent to their to their lives. He's writing out of his experiences to give us truth for I would we could say on the ground Christian faith. And I think what he's doing in this particular passage is is just evidencing this incredible fact that even they, Gentiles, they are predominantly Gentiles that he's writing to, they have been called by God to be priests in his kingdom. You know, that's what he says, that they've been made a royal priesthood. They who were not a people, formerly not a people, are now the people of God, which is an incredible message. All of which to say this is that God works flawlessly through extremely flawed people. People that perhaps we think that might not fit the bill of what it means to be part of God's kingdom, part of God's calling. They are the people that God pinpoints and picks out to say, I want you, I want you to be part of my kingdom. I want you to be the ones to carry forth my name, to carry forth my message, to be uh, truth tellers in a world that is filled with falsehood. And Again, I, I see that only because Peter evidences this so clearly, I think, with his own life. And it reminds me of this incredible little blog. Um, if you know John Acuff, John Acuff is a Christian sort of speaker and author, and uh, he writes a lot of stuff. And on, on his old blog, I don't think he keeps it up anymore, but or at least he doesn't make it current. Uh, StuffChristiansLike.net is his blog or his old blog. And, and back in 2013, he, he, he wrote this short, this short little blog that has resonated with me for years, uh, so long, um, but I love it so much. I'm going to read it for you. It's called The Truth About Callings. And in The Truth About Callings, he's talking about how there's times when we, we, we don't feel like we are good enough or we are perhaps successful enough or eloquent enough to, to, be a part of God's calling. And um, I say that to say that I think that that's what's true with Peter, with how he denied the Lord Jesus and how he utterly failed to live up to the expectations that perhaps he put on himself in the very first days of, of his being a disciple of Christ. And yet, it's Peter that God calls. And so, just listen to this, the truth about calling. John Acuff writes this, most days, quote, I don't feel successful enough to be used by God. I don't feel capable. I don't feel smart. I don't feel prepared. Surely, there is a better Christian out there who can do what God has called me to do. <laughs> really quick, have you ever thought that? That surely there's someone better that can fulfill this calling than that, that God has given me than than me. Surely there's someone else out there that can be that, that that's better at what I'm trying to do. That it can surely fulfill this role better than I can. I'll confess to you, I've thought that a lot. <laughs> there's many times when I felt that surely there's got to be someone more more spiritual, more eloquent, more intelligent, more articulate than I that can surely do this role better than I can. But 
And then that's when John continues and he writes this, quote, But then I read the Bible and I noticed an interesting pattern when it comes to calling. God found Gideon in a hole. He found Joseph in a prison. He found Daniel in a lion's den. God has a curious habit of showing up in the midst of trouble, not the absence. Where the world sees failure, God sees future. So next time you feel unqualified to be used by God, remember this. He tends to recruit from the pit, not the pedestal. I just love those words from John so much. And, and, and it's so it's so entirely true, so precise in terms of what God actually looks for. He is not out for pedestal Christians that he can pull from the higher ranks of intellect and society and prestige and all those sorts of things. He recruits from the pit. He recruits seemingly nobodies to share the message about this incredible somebody who died for everybody. And that is exactly Peter. He called Peter from the pit of denial, the denial of his very messiahship, from even associating with him at all, having any relationship with him, and from that pit of denial. Peter is made, he is transformed, we might even say he is born again into an apostle of the resurrection. You know, this is why I think that First Peter 1, 3, where he's talking about being born again unto this lively hope, is so fundamental to Peter's message, because because of that experience of being born again by the radical good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is the remission of sins for sinners, because of that, Peter's life was transformed. It was changed. It was utterly altered from top to bottom. And he's writing out of that experience to the fact that say this is how God works. He transforms lives that are in the pit and he brings them up to a place where he uses them. He uh, supplies the future where we only see failure, where we only see wreckage and ruin. This is Peter's life. And guess what? This is your life too. This is my life. This is what God does. This is his prerogative. This is sort of his penchant. He goes after the lowly, and he transforms them into the messengers, the carriers of his grace and his good news and his truth. This is what I love about Peter. This is what I love about what he shows us. He shows us precisely what God can do through human beings, flawed human beings, faulty human beings who have a lot of scars, who have a lot of baggage, who have a lot of weight on their shoulders over things that they have done. And yet God uses them. I am so thankful for the testimony of Peter and what we're learning through Peter's letters and what we can learn through the fact that his testimony is one that God works flawlessly through flawed people. Uh, I loved that uh, that message. I, I just loved studying it. I loved seeing my, my myself in it, and so to speak, in terms of I know that 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 what Peter experienced is the human experience. Our failure leads to us being in a pit, and yet God calls people out of the pit to serve Him, to to minister for Him, to live for Him, and perhaps, yes, even die for Him. But this is what God does. It's the, as John has so eloquently written, it's the truth about calling. No matter how we feel about ourselves, God has made a definitive statement about you when He has called you to a specific purpose. So even though you may not feel as if you're qualified, that's okay. God qualifies you, not not anything that you possess in yourself. Uh, this is a wonderful, 
wonderful truth to remember. I hope you'll listen to that sermon. I pray that it encourages you. I pray that both of those sermons encourage you and that you will uh, find great freedom in the messages of both of them. Before we continue on with the show, I just want to share a quick word from today's sponsor. Do you like coffee? I know that you do, and that's why I want to tell you about Fresh Roasted Coffee. Fresh Roasted is a locally owned and operated coffee house right here in central Pennsylvania that is committed to providing the highest quality coffee on earth. They do so by sourcing only the freshest coffee beans and by using the most eco-friendly roasting technology in the world. Fresh Roasted's USDA certified organic coffee beans ensure that your coffee is consistently regulated at each stage of the production process and completely free of GMOs and harmful synthetic substances. Fresh Roasted Coffee roasts their beans per order with immediate packaging and shipping directly to your door, meaning that you get to experience fresh coffee at its peak drinkability. That's what I like. I was introduced to Fresh Roasted Coffee soon after moving to central Pennsylvania, and I'm so happy I was because I think it's literally the best coffee out there. Their Blackbeard's Revenge blend is out of this world good. Whether you use a regular drip coffee maker or a pour-over or a French press, however you get your coffee fix, make it fresh roasted. Go to the link in the notes for this show and use the offer code GRACE10 at checkout. That's offer code GRACE10 at checkout to get a discount on your next order. As we continue on here, uh, I just want to share a few other things that I think uh, will be uh, helpful to you. What I've been reading lately, well, there's this incredible essay that I want to highlight. It's been kind of just sitting in my my blog notes for a while, just figuring out how to make sense of it. And I could, I guess, perhaps go through it and, and break it down and write about it, but I'm just going to let, let this article stand on its own. It's an essay by Ian Olson over on Mockingbird entitled The Personal Apocalypse. Apocalyptic, or excuse me, the personal is apocalyptic when your world unravels. And in this essay, he really is talking through, I, I, I would say, a lot of his own personal sort of experience with this year. <laughs> it is easy to to talk about uh, things about predictions and things about the future and how, how, how silly it is to make those sorts of arrangements in a year like 2020 when seemingly everything has been out of our control. And, and we could rightly say, as Ian does in this essay, that 2020 is a, quote, personal apocalypse. Uh, all of our sense of control, all of our order, all of our scheduling, all of our calendaring of events and our our logic over how this world operates is being fractured right before our eyes as things are seemingly falling by the wayside uh, in this, again, personal apocalypse. And all of that serves to reveal that we are in control, <laughs> We are in control over anything. No one predicted that this is where we would be in 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 eleven months into twenty twenty. I I still remember all of those those advertisements by pastors at the beginning of the year for their vision for this next year. They were including twenty twenty vision in all of their statements that we're going to have twenty twenty vision in twenty twenty. And just now we look eleven months later and just look at how silly that is. <laughs> but Ian in this essay. Uh, really highlights that and brings that out to to a really uh, just just really articulate fashion and uh, I want to highlight one paragraph paragraph really quick that Ian so eloquently writes uh, 
He says this, quote, The dismantling of our well-ordered worlds, the revelation of the illusion of control, of predictability, of normalcy, is the primal horror in which all fear participates. We dread discovering that what we thought could be counted on is only a sham, that the cosmos is not in fact tuned to our efforts such that our good intentions yield good results. There are other forces, other agencies, other currents beneath the exterior of the world we presume upon, and not one of us is as buffered against these things as we uncritically assume ourselves to be. Their ability to intrude upon and overturn our lives vastly outmatches our ability to maintain equilibrium. As the surface of the normal is peeled back, we discover how flimsy, how arbitrary it was, how superficial our moorings really were in the, were this entire time. End quote. And I just love how Ian terms that because that's really what's happening. All of these things that are going on in our world, the sort of change of global e economics, we have this incredibly severe pandemic, depending on who you talk to, that is, it is riddling this world with fear and anxiety and trepidation and, and cause for alarm, rightly so. And yet, what is happening uh, underneath the surface, all of that, those are surface-level things that are happening that are, that are, again, out of our control. And what is that showing us? Is that we aren't in control over anything. And this devastates us. There's nothing that we like more than to be in control. You can, I guess you can tell that a lot of these thoughts have been on my mind lately. Uh, that's why I'm resonating so much with what Ian pens in that, in that essay. Please, please go read it. The, the link is in the notes for the show. It's, 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 it's an essay that I think is so, so relevant to our time, that is so accurately describing what we're feeling, the angst that we are existing in, in this year is, is, is this dismantling of our well-ordered worlds. It's this personal apocalypse. And when we are all seeing our control just, just wither away, just crumble right before our eyes. And that is devastating to many of us. It's devastating to a lot of us. And actually, I, I've been so consumed with these thoughts, I actually penned my, my own essay of sorts. So similarly, it's an essay that I'll share with you. It's called Wisdom for When Things Are Out of Control. And I just went up on 1517.org. It was it was a post that I wrote for Christ Hold Fast. And a lot of these same sort of things about, uh, same sort of thinking and, and logic and the same sort of reasoning that I've been sharing with you about control and how do we exist and, and exist faithfully and wisely when there are so many things that we can't control that are going on. And uh, I, I, I sort of write to that in this, in this, uh, in this article, and I hope you'll read it. It's it's sort of an amalgamation of my sermons from Ecclesiastes 7 and Ecclesiastes 8, and sort of how we can live wisely uh, when things are out of our control, when everything is seemingly chaotic, and and uh, where where do we rest? How do we find peace? How do we find find grace in in those certain times? In the in those uncertain times, I should say. So uh, read that one too. Uh, I hope you'll be encouraged by that. Um, what has been helpful for me this week? Well, it's this other article that I, I, I came across by uh, a, a writer, Griffin Gulledge. So, Griffin Gulledge, he is a, a writer, and he is a student and a theologian, and he wrote this great article about um, about this, the, the Bereans. So, if you read about the Bereans, we are often told in certain Christian circles, especially among, I would say, conservative Baptist circles, that we should be Berean 
Christians. And he writes about what that actually means. What does it actually look like to to be um, a Berean Christian, so to speak? And I really like how he, he words this. It's a great article about how they were receiving truth, how they were, uh, were gathering around truth, and how it was forming uh, how, they, how they lived and how they interacted, and not just how they worshipped. It was just an entirely all-encompassing thing for the Bereans and what that exactly means. So I really hope that you'll 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 read that. It's a great a great article, and uh, Griffin just writes really really well. I found it very very helpful uh, to me this week, and um, I think you will too on what it actually means to be uh, a Berean Christian. Uh, what should you remember this week? Just remember this: as we've you c- you can probably sense. Um, a theme that has been on my mind, and that theme is 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 um and it's been on my mind for a while, and I think it's just being articulated, and I'm just seeing it in a lot of different ways. Um, is just this: that when things are out of control in our world, there's still one who is in control, and grace and faith ties us to that one who is in control, and in that sense, that's how we can rest. As all of these days that are going on before us, just remember this, that God has ordered and numbered your days. He is sovereign over every single one of them, and He takes delight when we enjoy the days that He's given us, that He's gifted us by His grace. There's nothing more that He wants than for us to enjoy the time that has given to us, enjoy it responsibly, and steward our lives, but and not to waste them on on frivolous pleasures, but also not to waste them on on, on faulty fretting and, and worrying about tomorrow. Jesus tells His apostles that. Why are you worrying about tomorrow? Tomorrow has enough trouble for itself. Worry about today. And not just worry about it. Rest and enjoy in today into the opportunities that it presents to you and the gifts that you have been given in the present and know that they have been given to you by grace. And this is the lesson for us all. It's a lesson I'm still learning to remember myself. God is in control. I don't mean that to be this pithy, trite thing that we can just remember and, and, and just shout and hope that that calms everyone down. I I don't mean that. I know that that's not true. I know that there are many things that are going on in our world that has have many people anxious, on their toes, uh, worried about what is going to happen in future days. And rightly so. There are things that we are right to be concerned about, right to be worried about, right to be uh, focused on. What I, 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 what I don't hope, what I hope you're not sort of gathering through as I've been talking about control, talking about wisdom, talking about leaving things, things outside of our control, resigning them up to God, uh, preaching on these things from Ecclesiastes 7 and Ecclesiastes 8 and writing about them and sharing about them in these different articles. What I hope you don't gather is I'm being dismissive of the moment. There's lots of things that can make us anxious in this moment. And rightly so. But the truth of it all, and the truth behind it all, is that there is a God behind it all. And yes, so we are right to be concerned, but we are not right to let that concern overwhelm and flood our souls in a deluge of unrest and, and fear and anxiety and, 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 and disillusionment over what is happening. Guess what? Even though things are out of control... 
God's kingdom is marching forward. What should we remember? That no matter what occurs in the days ahead, the promise of God's kingdom and its inbreaking into our realm, into our world, is going to happen no matter what. No matter what. Regardless of what happens with this next presidency, whoever it may be, regardless of what happens in the weeks and months ahead, God's kingdom is going to break onto this world, come into this realm like like nothing we have ever seen before. It is going to be one of the most marvelous comings of all time. It's going to happen because he is the sovereign king. He is the one who rules over everything, who reigns over all of our well-ordered lives that we are now seeing are not that well-ordered at all, that our control and our mastery over our lives is an illusion, it's a mirage. We don't have control over our lives. But guess what? There is one who does, and his name is Jesus. And as we are told in Colossians chapter 1, or excuse me, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, he is sitting on his throne at the right hand of the Father. He is ordering things. He is sovereignly presiding over all the events of our days. He's already presided over the events of the future. He knows what tomorrow holds. Our duty, our task is to be faithful in the present and to resign the things that lie outside of our control to the sovereignty of the one who is in control. That's where peace is coming from. That's where peace comes from in our day. It's hard to remember and it's hard, even harder to put into practice, I would say. But there's nothing that God wants more than for us to rest in His sovereign presence. That's what frees us to live by faith in the present. Yes, even when things are out of control. Thanks so much for listening. This has been Pastor Brad's Corner Volume 18. I'm so glad that you uh, tuned into this episode. I hope that you've been blessed by it. I hope you've been encouraged, that you've been made to reflect, to made to even, yes, uh, hopefully uh, have some peace in your out-of-control lives. I'm praying uh, for you dearly, and I pray that uh, you will... I continue to find encouragement through these episodes, through these little times where I get to just share what's on my heart. Uh, I hope you'll subscribe to the Ministry Minded Podcast. You can do so wherever podcasts are found. Uh, I appreciate all of you, your encouragement, your support, your notes, your prayers. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you on the next episode. Blessings.